0: Fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. fuel the podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership within the automotive industry fuel is bringing you the latest improving strategies and techniques that can take your service department to the next level
1: hey welcome back to the fuel podcast here uh, live from NADA 2024 I've got uh two lovely guests uh, sitting in front of me here. I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Julie, would like to go first?
2: Sure. My name is Julie Sells, and I'm with Optimum Dealer Services, and I actually work for both the Missouri and St. Louis Auto Dealers in the state of Missouri, and I work with preferred vendors. I look for vendors for our dealers, so I help vet through that. As you know, how many vendors walk into a dealership on a daily, weekly basis. And we try to vet through that and really look for the right fit for our dealers.
1: Yeah. Guilty as charged. I can tell you that,
3: right? <laughs> <laughs> Sir? My name is Doug Smith. I am the president and CEO of Missouri Automobile Dealers Association and also the executive vice president of the St. Louis Auto Dealers Association. And I also helped put on the uh, St. Louis Auto Show, which we've been doing since
1: 1907. Nice. So,
3: yeah. 1907. 1907. So you're
1: touch experienced? Just a little bit. I,
3: I was not doing the show in 1907, but uh, <laughs> oh, that's good. I do have a historical background of, of that show. So.
1: Outstanding. So, I mean, kind of getting into, you know, you say you vet dealer, uh, vendors and things like that, but how, I mean, how do you get to this position? Like, how did you kind of get into this? So, like, Julie, we'll start with you. How, how did you get into this business where you're doing what you do now
2: um my background is i'm actually a journalism major from the university of missouri so at mizzou um and advertising and marketing is is the the sequence i picked when i was in journalism and i actually spent the majority of my career in radio and television which now everything's shifted to digital as (laughs) you're well aware Um, and when i was came back to St. Louis, I went to Louisville, Kentucky and worked there. I went to New York and worked there and then came back to my hometown of St. Louis. Yeah. And the association director at the time, um, I used to go to the, a lot of the functions because I wanted to get to know the dealers because I kind of had to reinvent or refine my own hometown because I hadn't lived there in like 16 years. So I went to the association and all the dealers were there and got to know several of them like Don Brown at Chevrolet and he was a customer of yours. And just over time got to know more. And he said, gosh, I, you know, I'd like to hire you someday. And so they had a vision of doing a, like a vendor services program for our, for our dealers um, and another touch point for all association functions and and also to help dealers and and help select vendors that make sense for them. So sometimes it's organic. Sometimes the dealers come to us, say, I need this. And sometimes it's vendors that we, you know, that we see that we go, ooh, we're hearing a lot of buzz about this. Let's, let's investigate. And when we look for a preferred vendor, we really look for um, everybody that's, Big in that space, so it's a matter of talking to the dealers, finding out what the customer service is like, how responsive, and then you know making a determination of who that preferred vendor in that exclusive category will be. So it's a it's a pretty pretty extensive vetting process.
1: How'd you get in, Doug?
3: Well, I was in the insurance industry for several years. Uh, around 2001, I answered a blind ad uh, for an insurance broker. Uh, for a tr- trade association, uh, which was Missouri Auto Dealers Association. We, we do still have a small insurance agency within our kind of platform of products, um, and they were looking at the time to expand that, and I worked in major medical. So I was selling a lot of you know, HMO, PPO plans. No, nobody really knows what those are anymore, uh, <laughs> but back in the day, those were your insurance plans. And uh, we were selling to, at the time, there was about 511 dealers in the state of Missouri. So. Back in 2001, I got hired there, uh, was quickly promoted to Director of Member Services and Operations. Did that until about 2007, left MADA, and went and ran another trade association, uh, Highway and Bridge Builders, until 2012. And uh, came back in 2013 and and been here ever since. Um, The St. Louis um, Auto Dealer Association is its own independent metro association. And it's been around actually longer than the state association. The state association is actually an offshoot of the metro association because they wanted to have somebody closer in in Jefferson city, the state capital. So I've been doing that since 2018. So I wear both hats um, and I have a lot of cross participation on my board. You know, St. Louis guys are members of my state board and uh, vice versa. So um, it is an industry that I love. Uh, I've never worked in a dealership, but I feel like I have, Um, we are, they're consultants. We are their lobbyists at the Capitol. We are the ones that try to protect them from themselves, and also, you know, to find products and services uh, that will help them streamline the operations. And at the end of the day, m- be more profitable, make more money.
1: Well, I mean, it's something interesting you, you said. Protect them from themselves. Like, can you get into that in a little bit? Sure. And Jill, if you if you see something sure. down on that, but what uh, what kind of you mean by because there's there are a couple reasons yeah. you know that they need to. There
3: are, there are a plethora of laws, that both state and federal, that uh, govern dealers in the state of Missouri. They get their license from the state. Department of Revenue is their oversight. Uh, there's advertising uh, requirements that they can and cannot do. There's uh, FTC uh, paperwork. There's truth and lending. There's uh, all kinds of different regulations these guys are bound by. And 99% of the time, they do a great job adhering to every one of those laws. Uh, Sometimes when there's a tweak in those laws, uh, they're gonna need additional information. Uh, We're basically a resource for them for all of this stuff. And uh, we put out a ton of info on a weekly basis, Uh, maybe sometimes too much, but I think, you know, that's what they look to us first for is, you know, we are a resource, I send out a lot of information, I let them make the determination how important it is to them. We don't send a lot of frivolous stuff, uh, we send stuff that's focused on their day-to-day operations and, and keeping them compliant with everything that they have to be compliant with.
1: You don't you don't send too much to them. You said. What's that? You don't send too much to them. You said. No, I don't think we do. So, I
3: mean, you know, it's all it's all it's their all perception. Good. It's all yeah, perception. It's all perception. So, but there's a lot of stuff that's happened, and uh, you know, it seems to me, you know, small business as a whole is just keeps getting. Uh, regulation after regulation put on them and car dealers are no different they're they're truly the definition of small business
1: yeah i mean it's it's pretty impressive i've seen sometimes where they go to build a new store or whatever and they didn't get the brick right on the front of the building and they got to redo the whole thing or they right. got to yeah. add more money to right. it yeah, so it's absolutely. pretty interesting so julie i want to kind of come back to you. you talk about that vetting process for vendors and sure. things of that nature so i mean kind of like a high scale to start off with like Like, how does that process kind of start where you said you hear buzz about a vendor, or do you guys actively go out and research the vendors themselves?
2: Uh, A little bit of both. Um, When Doug talked about regulatory, you know, there were the new FTC regulations, obviously, on identity protection, things like that that are, you know, that businesses are taking, having to take more and more responsibility for information and how to protect it. So sometimes it's a regulation, and then we have to find a vendor that uh, makes sense, that, that helps dealers with that. And then sometimes it's uh, buzz from them. You know, sometimes they come to us and they say, hey, we're working with somebody like a Dynatron. Have you talked to him?" Or I heard about this in 20 Group. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? And sometimes Doug gets stuff. I get stuff. Um and 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 Doug is really good. We work together and you know, with his industry knowledge as well. I mean I worked with car dealers on the advertising side. Yeah. I used to joke, they used to run when I walked in and I would say, I see you, I see <laughs> you running out the back door. Now they're like, Oh, you're with us. So I'm like, it's it's a really nice access because we're their association. Um, but with Doug helps with like, hey, I think we need this. Security obviously has become a big deal, mm-hmm. profitability and service is a big deal. Um, So there's, you know, different things kind of cycle in and out in the automotive industry. And sometimes that creates a need. And then sometimes, you know, it's organic. It comes from our dealers and they say, hey, check this person out. Sometimes they call and just say, hey, I need help with how to register a car out of state. So then we look for a vendor that makes sense.
1: So it's like, you know, like coming down that journey, is there like you said, you got preferred vendors. Does that allow you guys to establish relationships with those vendors? Like person, like on, a, like you know, them a little bit better, and like you said, kind of keeping them from from hurting themselves in yes. aspects.
3: Yes, absolutely. And we try to partner with uh, companies that we we feel are not only be the best fit for us and our membership, but also internally with us as a trade association. Uh, we do you know, we host meetings, we do events. Um, you know, we're very sound financially uh, f- uh, from an association standpoint, but. We could always use spend, spend, uh, sponsorship dollars, and uh, vendors are always up step up to meet our needs and support us in those things. Um, we have a very very strong association. We've been around since uh, uh, you know the, the 20s, uh, 1920s, and um, you know we've got 385 new car dealers in the state. We've got 99. point something percent of them are members of ours. Nice. And um, so we've got a captive audience. It's a, there's a lot of give and take because we are providing our recommendation of this vendor to provide this service. And then the vendor also has a, you know, a stake and in, uh, you know, an input into the industry in, in the state. So it's a partnership more than it is anything.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, like it, the reason I bring that up is because you know, we're rolling into 2024. I've got a lot of people asking me, you know, what's out there, what's happening, what are the trends that we're seeing? Sure. There's a lot of buzz right now around EV in some parts. So what would you say if, you know, if you're going at one of your events and they're talking about stuff coming up or stuff you're looking at moving into 2024, what are some of the biggest things in the industry you guys are seeing either shifting or, or different trends, I guess you could say?
3: Well, the, you know, the last three or, three or four years, there's certainly been a focus on battery electric vehicles. Um, I mean, the spotlight has been very bright. Uh, the, ma- the manufacturers have all made... Significant investment in going that route uh, to be able to provide something to their car-buying customers. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really more of a question mark right now. Missouri has seen, I just answered this question about an hour and a half ago, has seen very solid EV growth. Not spectacular. Very solid EV growth. I mean, an EV is a, a fantastic car. I drove a, a Ioni- Hyundai Ioniq 6 for about three days. An amazing car. Did it fit my lifestyle? I travel a lot. No, it didn't. Not necessarily it's the car's fault. It was because charging infrastructure in the state is really substandard. Um, range anxiety is a big issue. Charging times, finding a reliable charger. Those are all things that came into play when I was driving that vehicle. Uh, from, a, from an enjoyability and a drivability standpoint, as good as anything I've ever had been behind the wheel of. Um, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of government uh, push, federal government push for, for sure, to phase out the internal combustion engine to uh, change emission standards, which I completely get. Um, but again, it, you know, don't do it at the expense of the consumer is kind of not just our opinion as a trade associate, but I think trade associations nationwide.
1: What, Julia, are you seeing anything like that as well? Or
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you a lot of anxiety and a lot of frustration <laughs> yeah. and a lot of curse words um, <laughs> surrounding the expenditure involved and in converting to EV, um, obviously, it's uh, it's been very anxiety-producing, and there's a lot of skepticism about it. I mean, I think, like Doug said, you know, the manufacturers have invested so much yeah. that I, I, I think some people are still kind of living in a little bit of a denial of, if I just kick this down the road, or if somebody else gets elected, and I'm like, I, I don't know if you're going to retool your whole factory, if they're going to back all this up, but... The infrastructure is definitely an issue. I mean, I travel, uh, you know, 35,000 miles a year. This is, I mean, EV is obviously not an option And for that's me. Not,
3: yeah, that's within the state, the state lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, so yeah. She's not traveling to Midwest. she's <laughs> Missouri's a big state geographically. Oh, yeah. um, you know, from one diagonal corner to the other, it's about eight hour, nine hour drive. So, um, you know, 35,000 miles is, is not uncommon for uh, for her on I'm not
0: sure that I've ever had a call with Julie when she wasn't in the car. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: So uh,
0: Maureen Martin, VP of Strategic Alliances with Dynatron. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I uh, am so impressed with, I had the privilege for Ann and I to come and attend your fall meeting and, you know, the camaraderie of the dealerships. I know you're still quite gifted of having, you know, family-owned groups, um, but what are you hearing from them on the fixed operations side? I mean, I kind of heard things when I was there, but I'm wondering, you know, what are you guys hearing that's that's really on the top of the mind of the dealers on fixed operations?
3: Um, first of all, thank you for being there this fall. I hope you guys had a good time. It was amazing. <laughs> um, we were so welcomed. Yeah, I cannot we, tell you now. You know, we have a unique makeup in the fact that, you know, 85% of our members are still family generational businesses. Um, We've got a few dozen that have been in business for 100 years. Most have been 50 or more, and they get it. While they are competitors on one hand, they all have the same interest at heart, and they are friends and, and comrades. And they, their families vacation together. They play golf together, and, and um, you know they're very, they're very close knit. Uh, but they would really like to outsell each other when it comes to selling cars. So we've got that, <laughs> we've got that dynamic. You know, I think. You know, the car business did a complete 180 to what we thought it would do during the pandemic. Um, and that coincided with these guys making a lot of profit. Uh, that is starting to trail off. Interest rates have had an, you know, the industry's different. It just is. Uh, there's more cars, the prices are going down, the margins are changing. You know, they've got more expense with their floor plan expenditures. Um, working smarter, not necessarily harder to maximize operational expense is really, I think, the focus right now. Whether that be used cars, whether it be fixed ops, whether it be service, uh, body shop, F&I. I I mean, that's really, I think, where they've got their magnifying glasses shine right now.
2: That's great.
1: So how did Dynatron get on your radar?
2: (laughs) Well, we were um, kind of looking at the category. We are actually looking at somebody, another competitor. Um, we had a couple of uh, dealers using somebody else, and um, as I was traveling the state, we were getting kind of close. And Doug knew that this other person had worked with other ADAs across the country, um, but we were—I was starting to hear about Dynatron from a couple of our dealers, particularly in the southern part of the state. So I told Doug, I'm like, we're gonna—we're gonna back. I'm gonna slow the—we're gonna slow this down because I'm, I'm hearing Dinatron bubbling up and. Um, we had one, one you know, single point dealer who told me he went to the, you know, out here, I think in Vegas, right? Had the, mm-hmm. the fixed ops um, kind of school for, yep. for dealer principals. Our, exec- our executive workshop. Executive yep. workshop. And he said, wow. He goes, you know, very immersive, learned a lot, learned a lot about the, you know, the back end and how to maximize profitability. And, and um, you know, the expenses are fixed. So it's like how this is like pure profit. And then with sales kind of dwindling or, or not dwindling, but it's definitely going to tick down from yeah. what it did compression. in COVID.
0: Yeah, compression.
2: Um, and, and price is kind of starting to, to become normal, which we all <laughs> knew it was going to happen. They, they were hoping they would go up forever, but yeah. you know, what, <laughs> what goes up must eventually go down. <laughs> right. So now everybody's like, you know, how can we maximize? And I think that's an ongoing issue, not just um, uh, in terms of, of the actual servicing of the cars, but also all the cars that go through there on a daily basis that's more customers that go through there than in the sales side of the business. That's right. So everybody's looking at ways to maximize that.
3: Service departments have, have stayed busy since 20. Also. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a lot of customer pay stuff. Uh, warranty uh, and recall stuff is certainly out there. And that's, you know, I think it's fairly steady to where it's been the past four or five years. But, um, you know, service departments have, you know, oil changes and and just stuff that brings people to a uh, to a service drive that's still very very steady um, and again you know that's an essential part of not only a dealer's operating profit but it's essential part of their relationship with that customer nobody wants to have a bad service experience and so to have a well-run well-trained profitable service part of that business is essential to these guys not only surviving but staying on that trajectory that they've been on the last three or four years.
1: Well, I mean, I think the pandemic kind of shined a light on, you know, to the front end of the office, like these people can carry us and there's a lot of opportunity in the back. But I mean, kind of to talk, you know, finding those opportunities and and being able to partner up like with Dynatron or something of that nature. The biggest thing would be able to get them to understand profitability, I'd say, to put back into the community or put back into the store. No you know? question. So I mean, I think that's another thing we kind of bring to the table is we're like, hey, it's not just about you know keep charging. You know, you charge more, you make more, easy math and right. that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. But it's more of the aspect of are you profitable with what you're doing and is it making the most sense? I'd say for the least amount of negative impact to your customer right. and to your community. Absolutely. You know, you got to drive on the same roads they do. You <laughs> drive on all the roads, yeah. so Julie. Yeah. So. yeah. Exactly. You
3: know, these guys have made significant investments in their communities, and a lot of times they've been there for decades. And they've got customers that have worked for them for decades because they treat them right. Um, they make an investment, in not only their, their, their communities and their customers, they make an investment in their employees. And you know, they want to maximize profits so they can reward those people to help them get to that level on that journey. So it's, uh, it's all a big circle.
1: So, I mean, like, you know, with the EV, you know, and some other things kind of like looking at profitability analysis and things like that, at the dealership level, how, how often are you inside or, like you said, you didn't run one, but you feel like you did. How often are you kind of like interacting with those dealers and, and communicating with them? You know, Julie can, oh, Julie, oh, yeah, Julie's day. there all the time. <laughs> I
3: would love to be there some, but, yeah, Julie's there all the time. Julie's, in, a, in addition to what she does on the sales side of yeah. the vendor program, She's also kind of my con, you know, my eyes and ears, my conduit to what's going on out there. Um, I do not get on the road as much as I used to, just with doing the two jobs and and. Um, but yeah, Julie's Julie's in the stores all the time.
1: What are you seeing at the stores? I mean, like when you're in there, what are some of the things you're picking up on?
3: Oh
2: well, on the sales side, you know, everybody forgot how to sell. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a lifelong salesperson. You know, selling advertising was is it very challenging? Yeah. Which is where I started. Um, when you tell a dealer you have to spend 25000 there's no guarantee it's going to work, but I know you need to do it. <laughs> They're really upset right from the get-go, but they know they have to. And it's the same thing right now. It's like the, these guys had were taking orders for two and a half, three years, essentially. And if you didn't buy that car at that price, which they kind of – we know they were even inflated by thousands of dollars oh, in some yeah. cases. They said, great, that's okay. Somebody will come in right behind you and buy that car. So one of the things that's bubbling out is, you know, sales training. It's back to sales 101. How do we handle objections? Um, and then in the service side, I mean, it's it's rough. Um, service, you know, departments are so busy. And customers are frustrated by how long it takes. So it's it's constantly looking for ways to not only maximize profitability, but streamline and CSI. And, and so that customers aren't, you know, I have dealers that say, hey, they're coming in here and waiting. And we're going out and saying, there's no way we're going to get to your car today. But if mm-hmm. I sit here, no, even if you <laughs> sit here for probably five days, you know, it's we're looking at a couple of weeks out and in some cases longer, and that's frustrating all the way around. So if you, you've noticed in the COVID with, you know, the profitability, you see a big expansion in service departments, which you guys are seeing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people are adding 30% more in, in terms of bays. Um, they took a lot of that profitability and expanded their service department. So it's like, how many more ways can we help them maximize that and still make the customer happy? Right. Um, that's, that's the, that's the balance.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I had a pod. I'm sorry, go ahead. Were you gonna- one, one other thing,
3: you know, there, none of my guys are shy about calling me <laughs> and saying, Hey, we, we got an issue here. We got an issue there. Yeah. Or who do you recommend for this? Um, so that's the other, I, I'm open lines of communication. These guys know me after 17 years of working with them and they trust, they trust me. They trust us. Uh, to do, you know, kind of what we feel is in their best interest, um, which is how we approach everything.
1: Well, I mean, I think it kind of comes back to something at Dynatron we've been really putting a big focus on, like with with technician performance is efficiency. You know, it's like how efficient is that bay? Like, and had Jim O'Connor on earlier, you know, and he's been in the business, like, forever yeah. you know one of maureen's biggest mentors, one of my biggest mentors. Yeah. so and he was but he was talking about that he was talking about Bay efficiency like you know yeah. and and what does that mean and how is that constructed so I think you know great conversations like you know anything you guys can you know see out there or, or give back to people like you know vendors like us like Dinatron you know as far as hey here's the need for this we can start customizing programs for them even more and more but getting them to understand you know like you said how, how do we get around that aspect of, I just can't get you in. There's got to right. be a way, right? Sure. So it may be some efficiency. It may be looking at what you're doing and how you're doing it, how you're staffed right now. Mm-hmm. It may be looking at, um, I had a gentleman talking earlier, I think it was Jim or uh, it might have been Kevin, but he was talking earlier about coming in and doing all your PDIs and stuff in the middle, of, you know, in the evening, in, at night, when you don't have any customers. So there's ways of looking at that. It was Kevin Juergens. Yeah, and, I thought uh, it
0: was really interesting. You know, one of the things we're really hearing is about recruitment and retaining technicians and so we're very passionate about that so we're trying to figure out ways that we can continually help our dealers and so you know one is the profitability we make they can reinvest got to have that first right so because we know that that's a very competitive market but another thing that i think about is our technician capacity and forecasting which we put into our tool at at the need of dealers, Mm -hmm. right? Because we get all of their repair order data, so we know what their technicians are actually doing. And you know, they've got to continually educate, right? Go to their master training, go to ASC, do those things. And so we need to help them, and that's the things that we're trying to look at is from an education. Um, Another thing we talk a little bit about, and I'd be interested if you're seeing that as well, especially since you have multi-generational is, you know, I've been 38 years in the business, and about 98% of them did not co- have the opportunity to work in fixed operations. They sure. primarily came up variable, and so we that, that workshop that was so impassionate from a dealer and yeah. GM – was because we want to invite them to the table. We want to be those that resource for them. So do you see that or do you see that many of them are going to school and doing that or you know, is there ways that we can be more helpful with tech, with, with, with GMs yeah. as well on their education?
3: Well, I, you know, this has been a 25, 30 year problem. There's just not enough techs, not enough kids looking at this as a career. Um, you know, and it's, it's a problem that We keep thinking is, you know, we're going to hit a wall at some point, but we haven't. Uh, A lot. I think the average age of a technician in the state of Missouri, all all line makes, was 42 years of age. That was the average age. So you have some young guys and you have some old guys. Oh yeah. And um, the old guys that retire are not being as replaced with the young guys at at the rate they need to be. It is a problem with every dealer that I go to, Mm -hmm. I, I could or talk to. I could use two or three more techs. I could use two or three more really good guys I need another ASE uh, master tech here um, you know I could get you know their service departments are, are still busy now because a lot of that work is just being refunneled re, re into those same 10 15 guys uh, if they could get another three guys to or four guys it would take a lot of the, a lot of the impact off of, off of that it has been a huge problem we as an industry probably have not figured out enough ways to try to combat that uh which you know we're constantly working on uh talking to those trade schools talking to those um uh, you know, high school tech programs uh about funneling kids in, in you know on through uh asc certified program uh but it's just um it's just a problem that has not found a fix yet.
1: yeah i mean i, I think it's like you know like you said multi-generational type deal it's something that's got to be kind of, you know, pushed and you know, passed down to an extent. But that would be the, big, the biggest thing to me is we used to have people at the high school that my, my wife used to teach at, they would have people come in, master techs come in and talk about why they got in the business. Right. You know, my daddy did it. Or I was fixing cards on my own. And I just figured I was good at this. Right. And so they were trying to spark some passion about, you know, understanding, you know, you're doing something. The biggest dynamic that I love to make in my coaching calls is the difference between the technicians and surgeons is that they got blood and guts on them, you got grease and oil on you cuz you're a you're an artist with what you do yeah. and understanding these things these yeah. mechanical parts they're dangerous items that you deal with and it's the livelihood of a lot of people to be able to get up and down the road like yeah. I say I'm all the time 100%. you got to drive on the same roads they do so right. you want to make sure that so i think the biggest thing you know maybe to the states that at least i know of in and i'm from north carolina so in our state we've got couple programs that's community college that are doing a lot better. We've got a lot more mentorship going on right now. We start to understand the concept of growing technicians a little bit better. So the aspect of it is like, you know, everybody starts off as like a porter or something of that nature. And then we just kind of fill them out. We fill them where they go. So I think, you know, the, the passion, you know, getting people that are passionate in the business, you know, how you're passionate about what you do and that they're passionate in the business, getting from that youth. I mean, that, that may be the way, to start looking to go with that but um it's something that we're working out you know across it but you're right i mean it's you know there's 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 too many going out and not enough coming in for sure yeah. well
2: there's a whole change of like technical schools everybody had this big college push well that's not for everybody and mm. i mean these guys can get out and make money right away and um and they're valued so valued in a dealership and they make their way all the way up to master tech i think the the lack of master techs is the really scary thing um, as they start to retire um, and making sure that you have somebody that's ready to take that spot by the time they leave with all that knowledge. And then you have the shift to EV. I mean, that's going to kind of change everything.
1: Too. Oh yeah. Everybody's got to become an electrician. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know. yeah it's, it's definitely
3: going to have an impact. Um, you know, If we get to that point or when we get to that point, yeah, it's you know, these guys are going to be multifaceted when it comes to their skill level. And um, not only is that going to be important to the dealer, but Again, the retention is going to be. They don't want to lose that guy. Yeah, if they're yeah. spending thousands of dollars training them to be as certified and proficient in all these powertrain lines. They they want to keep those guys at their at their own stores. Yeah.
1: Well, as every time I start to wrap up the podcast and everything, I like to leave my guests with like you know the final word or the final note <laughs> of anything you want to give out to the listeners or anything you want to kind of put out there. So. Um, you go give <laughs> <laughs> like, like, totally it. It's always a dynamic <laughs> when so there's you two need people. To take this out with a sizzle. <laughs> um,
2: no, I just think that you know this partnership and every partnership that we get into is important for our dealers as they as they evolve and and the more they can count on their partners and and we can count on our partner support whether it's convention or events or or whatever it it may be. Um, that's important. I mean, it's. Um,
1: <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Sorry, we
2: just. to take us out. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but I agree. Yeah, indeed, I mean, the yeah. more partnerships we, we get with, or that we have trust, and that they become in the fold, it's just one less thing that they have to worry about with all the change that's going on out there. So, you know, hopefully, we provide that for them, and um, with with partnerships like with you guys and other vendors, and then with all the information that that. Doug and the agency in the association put out, which is so important. So many different aspects. I think that's, I mean, that's all we can do to, to help them as much as we can.
3: This is an extremely viable industry still, uh, regardless of what you might hear, or you know what what might be reported. Uh, Family-owned, third-party, uh, retail automotive dealerships are still thriving, and you know we want to keep it going that way. Um, on a personal level, Missouri is a great place. To have a dealership. I mean, it really is. We have a very friendly legislature. Uh, It's very pro-business. We have, you know, we have rules, of course, but, you know, they are not prohibitive. Um, It's a really good, um, you know, and we've seen growth. We've seen out-of-state dealership groups come in and do a lot of buy-sells. We've seen uh, expansion. Uh, We've seen, uh, you know, new points pop up. So we we are, I think there's a, a national view of our state as being business friendly and particularly business friendly in
1: retail auto. Fantastic! So I, I really I want to thank both of you for coming on to the podcast, and I really want to thank you for not destroying the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. I you're welcome. I, I mean,
3: I'm like a bull in a china shop. I just now, want to so. say that
0: was a nice catch. It really was. <laughs> it was, really that really
3: was a nice good pickup. I should probably
1: have a helmet on right now. <laughs> keep
3: everybody safe you guys are
1: great but yeah thank i want to thank you so, you so much for coming on Great you absolutely hopefully have you it. come Appreciate back on right absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely happy to we'll have julie just you know phone in from the car
3: oh heck yeah <laughs> uh, live so. from the car well, well there's certain parts you won't have cell service but that's all
1: right yeah. <laughs> we'll keep her on interstate fantastic so that's going to conclude the, this podcast from uh, nada live and thank you again Thank you for joining another episode of The Fuel Podcast. Always be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to be notified when new episodes are being dropped, and click the link below to review any of the show notes for additional information, or you can email The Fuel Podcast with the link as we encourage any feedback or any questions or comments from our listeners. Until next time, I'm your host, Alex Keyes, with The Fuel Podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership.